usually me, so it's all good. Hey, um, before we start, I want to encourage you, uh, before, sometime between now and we get to the offering, there's a Connect card in your bulletin. Please fill that out so we can have a record of your attendance, know you're here. There's all kinds of stuff on the back you can help us out with. Appreciate that as well. So I don't know if you've heard the story, but they say in Texas everything's bigger and better. Now, I've only been in three cities in Texas, but I don't know if it's true or not. So I heard a story about the Walmart Husband Supercenter out in Dallas, Texas. Six-story Walmart. And it's a place where a a woman can go and shop for a husband. And there's six floors. Now, the rules for this Walmart are really clear. Once you go in, there's only one way out. And once you go to a, leave a floor, you can never come back, and you can never ever come back again. So you get one shot at this, right? And so I want to tell you the story of a woman who went on a journey to look for a husband. And if you're a dude, then you might figure out which floor you reside on. And if you need help, I'll tell you. All right, so here we go. On the first floor is the Walmart Husband Supercenter in Dallas, Texas. There's a sign that reads, On this floor, these men have jobs. And that's it. So this woman says, well, you know what? I think I can do a little better than that. So she goes to the second floor, which means she can't go back to the first floor ever again. On the second floor, she reads a sign. It says this, these men have jobs and love kids. So it's getting better. So she starts to pick up this, as you go higher, things get a little better, right? So she goes to the third floor. These men have jobs, love kids, are extremely good looking. Wes, you are not on this floor. And they go, she goes, wow. I'm giving you a little credit, brother. He's on the next floor. All right. So on the fourth floor, she goes to the fourth floor. I mean, she is just so excited. She gets to the fourth floor and it says this. These men love job, have jobs, love kids, good looking, and do housework. Maybe not. Anyway, so... A husband that does housework, she is like, man, but there's two more floors. It's just got to get better. So she goes to the fifth floor. These men have jobs, love kids, are good looking, help with housework, and have a strong romantic streak. I do not reside on this floor. Um, I'm just saying. And so she's thinking, I should stop here and shop for my husband, but Man, can you imagine how awesome the sixth floor is? And so she leaves the fifth floor. She goes to the sixth floor where she reads this sign. You're on the sixth floor. You were a visitor 3,456,012. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely to prove that women are impossible to please. Thank you for shopping at Walmart Husband Supercenter. Please exit the building and never come back. Now, I'm not trying to say that that's the way it is. But I think that's kind of how life is a lot of times. For a lot of people, our, your story is you're looking for something. Looking for someone, looking for something, looking for acceptance, looking to get over something, looking for someone to forgive you. Looking, I mean, we just, that's our story. We're looking for something. For some people, we just want to be found. We just hope that someone will find us and, and accept us for who we are. And that's kind of what life is. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but life is like, a series of short stories. That's your life. Your life is a series of short stories that come together to tell a much larger, compelling story. And so, for example, your, one of your stories might be the day you met your spouse for the first time. You might think about that's a good day. 
Or, the, or the, you know, maybe your story is that the day you found out you were going to have kids. The story of the, the first time you held your child in your hand. That's a pretty good day. Or, if you think it can get better, just wait till you hold your grandbaby in your hand. And it gets a whole lot better. But then there's another kind of story. The story you found out one of your kids was sick. And was going to have surgery. The story you lost your child. Or lost your spouse. Or lost a parent. Or lost a job. You see, sometimes our story is really great and awesome and happy. And sometimes our story's awful. But you're not defined by the awful. Our story is all these little short stories that come together to tell a much larger story. And at the end of the day, I think all we want is to know, does anyone care about my story? Does anyone care about where I've been? Does anyone care about what I'm going through? Does anyone care about my today? Does anyone care about my tomorrow? And the truth is, there is somebody. Now, somebody is the creator of the universe. And so we've been kind of on this journey trying to figure out who God is exactly. And in the Bible, there's 19 names given for God. And uh, there's one given name, but there's all these descriptive names that describe His character and His relationship with us. And so we've looked at a few. We've just scratched the surface of this. And so we talked about the fact that God has this given name that we know as Yahweh, but it's really these four uh, vowel, uh, consonants that come together and, they, and the word makes no sound at all. It's like literally the sound of breathing when you, when you kind of say it out. We talked about the fact that, that He is our Abba Father. That's the most personal name for God in the Bible. It's, it's the closest thing to Daddy. That's kind of what it would be like in our culture. Um, Jehovah Jireh is the God who provides... If you were here last week, we talked about El Shaddai, the God who is sufficient, who is an immovable mountain in your life, no matter what's going on, no matter what you face, no matter where you've been. God is a mountain in your life. But sometimes, we just want to know if God, can, if God cares. If God's paying attention to what's going on. That's, that's what we want. Is God actually paying attention? So today we want to talk about El Rahi, and He is the God who sees me. And we're going to find this in a really odd place. So we're kind of in this, we're like in a series within a series. So we're in this, this series talking about who God is. We're kind of in this mini-series jumping back and forth in the life of Abraham. So we're going to kind of finish that part today. Because this is where we meet El-Rahi, the God who sees me. And this is one of the, the descriptive names for God in the Bible. So I need to kind of tell you what's happening here because it's really important. So Abraham leaves home at 75 with his wife and his nephew, and one of their stops is Egypt. And the, the stop in Egypt is really important. The stop is Egypt. The stop in Egypt is where his story took a turn. Okay? And sometimes your story takes a turn. And sometimes we wish we could go back and change part of our story. But this is what I've spent my whole my kids' whole life telling them. You are who you are today because of what you have done, the way your story has unfolded, and things that have happened. To go back and change anything you've done changes who you are today. And we'll take you for who you are. And not take a chance on something going on. So sometimes, even when our story turns sideways, it works out down the road. 
You can't just go back and rewrite your history. And if Abraham were going to do that, this is the moment he would rewrite. So Abraham is traveling through Egypt, and in Egypt, Pharaoh sees his wife Sarah, and his wife Sarah is, man, she's just a, she's good looking. And, and Pharaoh says, I want her for my wife. And so he sends his envoy to Abraham and says, uh, we've we, we taken her. Who is she to you? And Abraham says, well, she's my sister. Because Abraham, which is technically kind of true, it's a long twisted story, um, but at the end of the day, it really wasn't true, and, and he's just trying to protect his hide. Because he knows if he says, this is my wife, they're going to cut his head off. So, Sarah goes to live in, in the palace, and they start giving Abraham all this stuff. I mean, he becomes a rich man by giving his wife to another man. And, and so, but God intervenes before anything bad can happen. And when God reveals to Pharaoh that Sarah is actually Abraham's wife, he calls him and says, what are you doing? What is the deal? And so they say, just get out of here. Just leave the country. But he gives him wealth walking out the door. And one of the things that Abraham receives, which is really important to his story, is this slave girl named Hagar. You see, if Abraham never goes to Egypt, he never, Hagar never becomes a part of his life. If Hagar doesn't become a part of his life, Hagar doesn't become a part of his story. And his story changes. But his story was not destined to change. And sometimes we just have to accept that what happened in the past has kind of helped be who we are today, right? And so, here we find Abraham. He's 11 years removed from leaving his home and God has promised him that he'd be the father of a great nation. But he's not the father of a single human being. And Sarah's getting impatient with God. And so Sarah has this awesome idea that sounds really bizarre, but in this, con in this culture was very common. Okay? We wouldn't do this today. But in this culture, they did this all the time. So he goes, she goes to Abraham and says, look, it's, it's clear God's not going to honor his... Uh, what his you know what he said he's not going to keep his word i'm not going to have a baby i'm getting older so you just take my slave girl and you have a baby with her and abraham is an idiot because he says okay and he does and i don't i mean if I, you've got a better word you give it to me that's my word so we pick up their story in, in the book of genesis chapter 16 and it's kind of a long read, so we're going to start and read through it. It says this, beginning in verse 4. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar. She became pregnant. Now remember, this all starts because he went to Egypt and lied to Pharaoh and got this slave girl in the first place. That's how it all started. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarah with contempt. Of course she does. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. Now right now, if I'm Abraham, I'm going, I'm not real sure he can put all this on me. But he wants nothing to do with this. I put my servant in your arms. Now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong. You or me. Now if that's me, I'm going, yes, he will. But Abraham is smarter than me. and He keeps his mouth shut. And in verse 6, he's Abraham replied, look, she's your servant. Deal with her as you see fit. In other words, leave me out of this. That's all he's saying. Leave me out of this. Do what you want. Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. 
The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. We're going to come back to that in just a second. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and what are you doing and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Now let's stop for a second. Understand what's going on here. Hagar runs into the desert with no one to take care of her. She is looking for a place to crawl up in a hole and die. There is no one to take care of her. There's no one to provide for her. There's no one to protect her. She is looking for a place to go and die. That's what she wants. I just want to be done. But the angel says, you need to go, not only do you need to go back, you need to go back and do what Sarah says. Now God fixed that on the other side, but Hagar didn't know that. So then he says this, verse 10. She gets her own version of the promise to Abraham. I will give you more descendants than you can count. Does that sound familiar? If we've been here for the last couple of weeks. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. So Hagar has a choice. I can stay out here and die, or I can do what God wants me to do, and I can go back. But now it's not just her. She understands it's not just her. It's a child at stake, too. But God says, if you'll go back, your descendants will outnumber the, the grains of sand. It's the same promise to Abraham. You will have more descendants than you can count because Abraham, the promise God made to Abraham was through Sarah, but it was also through Hagar. Long before Abraham showed up in Egypt, long before he lied about who Sarah was, long before they gave Hagar to them and says, get out of town, God knew how events would unfold. And when God blessed Abraham, it was not just through Sarah, it was also through Hagar. And so when we get all upset about the things going on in the world today, here's what you need to know. This is part of God's plan. Not one, two women who'd bless the earth. Two. Verse 13. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to God, to the Lord, and this is you know, Lord, all caps, who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me, which translates to El-Rahi. She also said, how I have truly seen the one who sees me. You know what Hagar's biggest problem was? She didn't think anyone was paying attention to her. She didn't think anyone cared. She didn't think God saw her. I mean, she's in a, in a, a home with this, where they're worshiping God, but she's like, well, God ain't paying no attention to me. Because my life is bad. And sometimes we think because our life is bad, because things are going on, God's not paying attention to us. We think when something bad happens, it's because God's not paying attention. Folks, God is always paying attention. But the problem is we have what I, I call it snapshot spirituality. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't do Snapchat. I don't, I don't do anything like that, but partly because I can't figure out how to do it. But anyway, um, but you know, you take a picture, you send it, Picture goes away. It's really cool. Cool idea. And it's something you can really do. I mean, I know someone was 
telling me last week they do this with their girls. I think it's an awesome thing to do every morning. But sometimes we think that our walk with God is just like Snapchat. God doesn't see everything. If the picture disappears fast enough, He doesn't see it. He doesn't pay attention. doesn't know what's going on. Sometimes we think we can get away with stuff because we haven't been caught. So here's the life lesson we need to learn from Abraham and from Hagar. And here's the first one. God is watching. Be careful. God's always paying attention. You know, when we lived in... Um, living in Elberton was much like living in Sylvania in a lot of ways. And so we would tell our kids when they would go off, don't think for one second you can go somewhere and someone's not watching you. We have eyes all over town. And the really cool thing is when they found out that was true. That there were people watching them all over the place. Not just watch out, but watching out for them. God is watching. Be careful. Because how you live matters. Adam and Eve are in this beautiful paradise and it's all good and great. And they hang out with God and God hangs out with them and they talk with God and God talks to them and they kind of walk through this paradise together. They have this really personal relationship with God. Satan convinces them that the the, eat from the, the tree in the middle of the garden that God says is bad. I'm just telling you it's good. They eat the fruit. They all of a sudden realize they're naked, which means they knew what naked was. And all of a sudden they knew what shame was. They knew what guilt was. Things they didn't know before they ate the fruit. They didn't know guilt, shame, or, or nakedness or anything. It was all good. It was them and God. It was the way it was intended to be. And then they hid from God because they wanted to hide what they did from God. Remember how the, if you remember how the story goes, God says, why are you hiding? Because we're naked. Well, who told you you're naked? Um, we ate the fruit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. God is always paying attention. Jericho falls. They go in. Joshua's orders are really clear. Don't take anything out of the city. Man named Achan, no relation, spells his name different. Man named Achan, just to be clear, man named Achan goes out and steals from the city. And digs a hole under his tent, which is really cool because every time they move, he's got to dig a hole, and he's hiding this stuff. Well, then the Israelites start losing battles. And Joshua's like, God, what's going on? He says, well, you, you, someone disobeyed me. Who? Go find them. God knew who it was. And they went trial by trial, family by family, so they found the house of Achan. And Joshua said, what would you do? And Achan thought he could get away with it. And no one knew he did it, but God knew. See, that's the thing. God is always watching. When you cheat on that test and you get away with it, and it's all good and great because your teacher didn't catch it and your friends didn't know, you know what? God knows. God knows. When you cut corners at work and your boss doesn't find out, God knows. When you cheat on your taxes, that's a sore subject this time of year, God knows. You might fool the IRS, but you cannot fool God. And my theory on that is really simple. I've got to be able to sleep at night whatever I do. So if I'm not good with God, sleep comes really tough for me. A man or a woman starts having lunch with a member of the opposite sex and before long it progresses into something it shouldn't be. No one knows. I can tell you firsthand from multiple experiences I've had to deal with Eventually, everyone knows, but always, God knows. God knows everything we do, 
it should manage how we live. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. And these evil days, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. In other words, God's always paying attention. And how you live matters. Now, if this was all there was to this story, it's really doom and gloomish, right? I mean, it's really bad. God's always watching. Be careful, right? You know, that's, when you tell your kids when they're little, hey, mom and dad are always watching, that's usually, mom and dad's always watching, you better stay out of trouble. We're going to find out. There's this element of doom and gloom to it. And the fact that God is always watching should dictate the way we live, but that's not the end of the story. That's just one side of the story. The other side of the story, the, one, the part that Hagar learned is this. God is watching, so relax. Relax. It's a really, really good thing that God is paying attention in your life. It's a good thing. I read this book years and years ago uh, by Mike Singletary, who was a linebacker for the Bears, a Hall of Fame linebacker. It's Singletary on Singletary. And when he wrote this at the time, uh, he was an active member of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, and he was a small group leader and a, a church leader and all this stuff. But I remember this one part in his book. He talked about players going on the road and not taking their wives with them. And they didn't take their wives with them because he had all these players that were hooking up with all these women. And, and, and he wrote something in his book that stuck with me, and it's been 20 years, 15 years since I read that book, but I've always remembered this part. He said, my biggest fear was never that my wife would find me. My biggest fear was that nobody would find out and only God and I would know. And I would act as if it was okay. His biggest fear was not that his wife found out. His biggest fear was that God would know what he had done. God is watching. Relax. Believe it or not, it's not going to be long but you hear these words. Better watch out. Better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because Santa Claus is coming to town. Making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Cool little song, right? And I love when Santa Claus comes to town. Don't get me wrong. He could come 12 months out of the year and my life would be awesome. It means the Christmas tree would be up all the time. But here's the thing. But in that little song, this thing we talk to our kids, there's this unintended consequence. Better watch out. Better not cry. Better not pout. You know why? Because Santa's watching. And if you start acting like that, he's watching. And if, and if you act like that, you know what? You might not get anything at Christmas. I'm not even going to ask you how many times anyone's threatened your children with Santa Claus because that's not even fair as a parent if you haven't played that card yet. I mean, anyway. So, but we teach our kids, you better watch out because Santa's watching everything as if it's bad. And so the rest of the story, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you're been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. It's not a bad thing that God is watching. It's a great thing for your life that God is paying attention. For Hagar, who went to the desert to die, it's a great thing that God didn't just let her die. Because He was paying attention in her pain and in her misery. God is always watching. And God sees the things that nobody else sees. God saw you buy gas for that guy, that couple at the gas station. Saw you buy groceries for that family. He saw you be really kind to someone when you just wanted to be left alone.
but someone just needed to talk to you and you wanted to say, I got to go because I'm not, I'm not ready for this, but you just listened. God sees that. God sees all the little things that we do that make a difference in someone's life. No one's paying attention. Someone's always paying attention. So make a difference. We, we talk about making a difference in the, the lives of the people God puts in your path because God's always paying attention. And we shouldn't do it because God's paying attention. We should know that what we do, God is paying attention to the things that we do. But God also knows when you're struggling. When you're the wit's end. When you can't figure out what you need to do. When you don't know, have the courage or the strength to take another step. When you want to quit, but you just know that you can't. When you feel broken and shattered and you feel like your life is laid in pieces everywhere. God's watching. And He's paying attention. Doesn't mean the pieces will all be put back together the way that you want them to, but here's what I know. They'll be put back together the way God wants them to be put back together. God is in the business of taking broken things and putting them back together. And when He does, it's better than it was when it was broken. And if you want to know, if you want to meet a broken person, this is, this is all you got to do. Go home, go to your bathroom, look in the mirror, and that person you see looking back at you is a broken person. Because we're all broken. And we're all shattered. Sometimes, like Hagar, it's just obvious. But sometimes it's not. So it's a good thing that Al-Rahi, the God who sees me, is always paying attention. Because here's the other part of that. Al-Rahi, the God who sees me, sees everything, everything, and still forgives. He sees everything, still forgives. Still does. Here's what I know. We're in a point in time in our country where we're trying to rewrite our history, and I'm not, I don't want to get into all that. And we, want to, we want to change our past, and you can't change your past. Well, there's this movement now, and I've got, I know someone who's, who thinks this way. There's this movement that's starting to rise that the Bible should be rewritten. To, because the Bible should be rewritten to reflect the modern culture. I'm telling you, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I can't think of a better word. Because we want to rewrite all the pain out of our story. But what happens when you start changing the Bible? Jesus came to, to die for me. I don't want that taken away. Jesus saved a woman who was desperate in a desert who went to die. I don't want that taken from me. I want to know that He is the God who sees everything that I do. And sometimes we think, yeah, that was a long time ago Jesus came to the cross. But a lot's changed. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. It's the same world, same God, same Savior. Jesus came to die so that we could be forgiven, so we could spend eternity in heaven. That's how I know broken things get fixed. Shattered pieces get put back together. That's how I know God is watching me. That's how I know it's a good thing. But here's, if, here's the litmus test. If you were the only person on the earth, Jesus still would have died for you. We say that, people say that all the time, but just let that sink in for a second. 
If you are the only person on the planet, Jesus still gives His life for you. He still does. Because God is El-Rahi. He's the God who sees me, who loves me, who knows my pain, who knows my story, who's in, and who, despite my story, still forgives me. That's the God we serve. That's who God is. The question is, do you believe that God sees your story? Do you believe God's paying attention to the bad and the good? Do, do you really believe that? Because here's what I believe. If you really start understanding that God's paying attention, it changes some values that we have, but it changes how we handle the dark days too. Because we are not alone. And that's who God is. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. Father God, we are um, um, grateful that you saved a woman, a, a, a Gentile woman in a desert. That for some reason you blessed Abraham and the world through her. That you didn't just say, well, she's just a mistake Abraham made. We're just going to let her go. No, you saw her in her pain, in her agony. And you redeemed her and gave her value. Because that's what you do. You see us. You know our story. You know what we're going through. And we are never alone. It's the promise we have of being your child. Lord, remind us daily that you're paying attention. And on those days we think no one cares, remind us especially that you are paying attention. We pray these things in Jesus' name.